When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy. I'm very, very happy to be back once again and joining me today as ever is Mr. Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? Yeah, not not going too bad apart from the uh, the roadworks outside my house which have been keeping me up all night and throughout the day. But uh, we'll uh, we'll persevere. I'll, uh, I'll mute when I'm not talking so you don't hear it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be a difficult one because I also have gardeners outside my house today um, cutting some grass and some cutting some trees. So if you hear some funky noises in the background, we can only apologise. Mr. Simon Bukowski, is there anything going on untoward outside your house? Uh, the only thing is that the sun is kind of streaming directly into my face. But I was, <laughs> I was told off by our producer overlords for my room being too dark. <laughs> Um, yeah in the back so, cave <laughs> yeah so so youtube viewers will be delighted to see me squinting through the whole of this um the things we do for content eh? exactly exactly but i'll tell you what city fans were delighted to see at the weekend it was them run out massive winners once again what a week it has been for the blues only um what is it about 13 goals in 14 goals like i even count 13 it was in two matches six nil win over burnley si i mean it feels like the power's back baby <laughs> yes um yeah, it's it's been a, a hell of a week for City. Um, if you sort of include the the win at Palace as well, um, you know, three different competitions, three big wins, um, and a lot of positivity to uh, to go into the international break with. Um, it's a nice mug, by the way. Not quite the mug that thank you Jack Grealish has got, but no, a nice no. mug. But what is? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was um, two sort of huge performances at home, basically, um, that kind of reinforce uh, City's credentials in the Champions League and the FA Cup. And I mean, I was uh, walking to the ground on Saturday when they played Burnley. I was just thinking, it was like they can still they can win the actual treble city this season. Um, and and nobody had mentioned a word of it really, and you know we won't talk too much about it because it is still very very tough to to uh, to achieve. But you know it's kind of a reminder that everyone's been talking about this season as like City underachieving and not being where they should be. But it they're kind of set up again for what could be a very exciting end to the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both Manchester clubs, of course, going for a treble. I wonder who's would be slightly well. Well, well one Manchester club is going for the treble. Mm-hmm. And the other's going for and, a treble. And the other one's going for a quadruple. Um, but a, oh, yeah. not a, a, not the. Exactly, exactly. I'd be very surprised if they did make it for somehow at this point. But as you say, City going great guns and Joe. It, yeah, I mean, Burnley, I don't think anyone, you know, Guardiola, when Burnley were back in the Premier League, used to always say it's a trip to the dentist. And I think they never once lost to Burnley and at the Etihad would always hammer them. So there was nothing new here in that respect in terms of the result. But it was a very different Burnley team, of course. We'll talk about kind of Vincent Company a bit more specifically later on. But this was a different Burnley at the same old story. I think kind of going into the match, there was maybe... I don't think anyone questioned if City could win this or would win this, but 
it was going to be an intriguing match to see a different Burnley come to the Etihad, one who's playing some exciting uh, football in the Championship, a 12 points clear, I think. Um, maybe that's shrunk over the weekend since they weren't in action. Um, but a healthy lead at the top of the Championship, almost certainly to come back to the Premier League at first time of asking, which I don't think anyone expected um, just, just shy of a year ago. Yet, it, it was kind of the same old story, so it's kind of impressive from City that, you know, high block or low block, it doesn't really matter, City, I was going to absolutely pulverise Burnley, pretty much. Yeah, well, if you if you look at the first half, Burnley were on top and they were pressing and they were causing City loads of problems, and you see that when you've got a confident championship side. I think I mentioned in the last podcast we did that, I think it was Fulham last season came, they were top of the championship and gave City a really good go. City obviously won, and were comfortable winners in the end but it it's always refreshing isn't it when when a team comes to the Etihad and, and gives it a go and Burnley definitely definitely did that and backed by a big following they were, they were giving it um, a really good go pushing City into a couple of maybe little mistakes I think there was one where um, it was Ortega might have given the ball away a bit easily and Rico Lewis just stared him down after uh, getting just just about clearing the ball and, and forcing the, uh, the Burnley player wide but it, it wasn't all going City's way and Obviously, Erling Haaland then does what Erling Haaland can can do and has been doing very frequently. But un- until those two quick fire goals, you have to say Burnley were on top. And and after that, then, I mean, we saw Leipzig last week. It's it's hard when City have just scored two and are, are in the mood. It's hard to to even get close to them. And and you know that the game is is pretty much gone from you there. And after that, it was a matter of just how many a City going to get. But no, Bur- Burnley were one of the better teams to come to the Etihad despite the scoreline just because they gave it a go and were probably cause City more problems than most teams will do. Yeah, well, let's kind of move on to that man once again, Erling Haaland's side. And the only question to ask is, is he making City worse? <laughs> um, no. No, <laughs> it's. Um, I think it we was, can put that to bed now. For I, I don't. I don't. Like, I don't think it, it's not. It's not as much as we'd like it to be done. The second they lose or he doesn't score, it will be. It will rear its head again, and um, you know people will still, still say it. But yeah, it's it's obscene, um, and it's a bit like the sort of peep show meme. But five goals in a game is. Uh, a hell of a, a hell of a lot of goals, um, and yeah, only done twice before. Once one of those was Messi, so Pep's been responsible for for two out of the three in the Champions League. Um, players getting five goals, and then three against Burnley. Yeah, he, he just he he is as as Jack Grealish said, a ball mag <clears throat> a ball magnet. The ball just comes to him, and he knows where to be at exactly the right time. Um, it's it's remarkable. I've I've never seen anything like it. Um, and you know, maybe people older than I am have because I'm such a a young um, book still. But uh, no, it's you just you just lose kind of all perspective and have to reframe your world to Erling Haaland's basically because he's just setting his own standards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I know we're kind of like facetious over the question and the way I think some maybe fans or pundits or um, you know bad faith actors have kind of tried to say Haaland's made City worse, I don't think we ever said that but I think we have kind of argued in good faith on this podcast um, over the recent months that there was, something wasn't quite clicking Joe, there was you know, Haaland you could see, was it the um, the dot? Dortmund, I want to say. Oh no, Leipzig at home, a Leipzig away, wasn't it? When he just wasn't getting found, he was making the runs time and time again, and he was wasn't. No one was kind of looking for him. You could see he kind of was getting on his nerves a bit. There was a couple of matches in that kind of dodgy City run where he was hardly touching the ball, um, and you know that kind of gave credence to the people who were saying Haaland's made them worse, which was never the case. But there was clearly something going a bit awry for a moment there. And I wonder what kind of has changed in recent games where the chances are now falling to Haaland. I mean, I think we said, you know, the Forest game and that Leipzig game, he did get he only got one chance in those matches and wasn't really able to take them. Whereas now he's getting, well, five and three a match and he's, you know, scoring hat-tricks of fun. I'd love to know if anyone's ever scored like a hat-trick of hat-tricks in succession before, but he's he'll be on for that once the international break um, is over. So what has kind of changed in the last few weeks where he is just banging him in at will again now, just like he was at the start of the season? 
I don't know about hat trick of hat tricks, but he got three hat tricks in three home games earlier in the season, so he's he's close enough for that. And he's yeah, he has those spells though, doesn't he? Where just everything he touches and everything he does is a goal, and it, it will fall kindly to him. But you've got to be in the right place, and I think if he doesn't score, I think I said this last week, he doesn't score many spectacular goals. He just scores the simple goals so often and if it was so easy everyone would have done it before I think that's the the remarkable thing about him that he is always there and always on the spot and just so reliable with those sort of poachers goals um I think after like those games you mentioned I think a couple of things have happened one I think Haaland started coming deeper a bit more and has been a bit more effective um there's been a few times where he's come basically to the centre circle, laid it off. And then we know that when he turns and runs, he's he's unstoppable and his, his runs are often very good. Maybe the, the quality of those runs and the space he's allowed himself gives players like Gundogan and De Bruyne a bit more opportunity to find him. I don't know. But I think also the, the balls to him have been have been a lot better. I think Alvarez, was it Alvarez for the for his goal against Burnley, the, the one-on-one? I think that was a, a, a really clever ball. Um, I think Guardiola said it was... It's a risky pass when you when you play that ball to to Haaland, and it's often safer just to go to the wings. Maybe City are taking a few more risks with, with those balls because they know that Haaland is is always going to make that run. So um, whether it's Haaland coming a bit deeper, I think his all round play, especially in the last two or three weeks, has got a lot lot better, um, and I think that coincides with City going on this run. They're just a bit more confident, aren't they? And uh, just a, everything's working a bit a bit freely, and um, when you're more confident, you can. Play those balls with with um, sort of a bit more chance of getting to the to the um, to the striker, and uh, no, I think everything's just coming together at the moment when when it might not have been a few weeks ago. I think that's really interesting actually because if we kind of throw our minds back to 2021, the striker City wanted to sign before Haaland, of course, was Harry Kane, and he's made himself so good in the last maybe four or five years at dropping deep, getting on the ball, kind of starting the moves himself and then getting into the right position to finish them. Maybe that's what Guardiola was kind of looking for, Si. And in, in Haaland, he's got the man who can do the finishing. That was, you know, he didn't. he's not had to do any work there, but maybe it's just take, you know, we've said many, many times, it always takes the wide forwards or midfielders a year or so, you know, look at Grealish, probably 18 months to kind of really get used to Guardiola's methods and what he wants. May, and, it's not even taking Haaland that long. He was scoring straight at the gate, but maybe it's just taking him a bit longer to really, you know. And there's been a World Cup in there as well. Let's not forget. Maybe it's just taken a bit a long, bit of a, a bit more time for him to kind of get used to that coming deep, rather than being on the shoulder where he always was at Dortmund. Always, you know, Dortmund were always looking for him straight away on with their quick counter-attacking play. Whereas City, they're a bit more patient. He wants Haaland to be a bit more involved. Obviously. There's, there's the options there to go long and go direct when it's needed. But in general play, maybe it's just taking Haaland a bit of time to get used to that, coming short for it, getting involved and then making your run when the play has you know surpassed him. Yeah, and I think what's important is, you know, it took Sergio Aguero quite some time to adjust to Pep Guardiola's demands. And this was Aguero, you know, City's greatest ever goal scorer. Um, who was who had played in the Premier League for for five six years by the time Guardiola arrived and was still kind of struggling to to do what Guardiola wanted. So Guardiola's demands are very demanding. Um, he was demanding twice there. That was silly of me. Um, and also the Premier League takes time to adjust to. Um, but I think you know Haaland is such a quick learner um, and. The team have also been kind of adjusting to him. I, I think what's been interesting recently is um, Guardiola saying that he wants Haaland to have touches and be involved in the game even when he isn't scoring. Um, there was a bit kind of earlier in the season when Haaland said he'd be happy to have five touches all game and score five game five goals when when everyone was getting like weirdly obsessed with how many touches he had. Um, and and you know the players have said it, it kind of takes the weight off them that they know that there's a player who can go like 30 minutes without taking a touch um and 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 still be clinical now guardiola's view is that harland is more clinical when he takes more touches and when he's more involved um so i think that is kind of an adaptation that is still ongoing 
sort of how much Haaland needs to be involved to be as clinical as he is and sort of in those positions when the ball just drops to him. Um, and yeah, like like we've all said, it is kind of a work in progress and there will be highs and lows. Um, but when when it's a player with Haaland's ceiling, there are far more highs than lows. And when the working process has already got 40 goals, I mean, it's not bad, is it? It's not bad, but you know, <laughs> the the other striker who, of course, arrived in the summer and has been in uh, in Haaland's shadow a little bit is Julian Alvarez, Joe. But he, again, came, when given a start, um, impressed, scored twice and was involved in um, and the other four goals as well. And it's, it's interesting how I know Alvarez has kind of tended to play against kind of inverted commas lesser opposition and what so it might be a bit skewed but it's when he when he plays with Haaland them two both seem to really flourish together now having them both it's it's hard it seems like Guardiola wouldn't be able to do that in games when he's really really concerned about control because he's basically sacrificing a midfielder to have Alvarez in the middle and in and around Haaland well, obviously not in Haaland. Oh, I've just fallen for the cliche I'm good I'm gonna be gonna be on it gonna be on it one day um but they, 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 them two work really well together. And I'd be quite intrigued to see them play in a more kind of uh, important game. Well, a game against tougher opposition, at least. He says he plays Alvarez with Haaland to, to add another body into the box. And, and that certainly worked. But I, I don't know if it's the, the first time, but it's one of the first times where it's been Alvarez, Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne. It's normally been... Alvarez and then Haaland, uh, sorry, Haaland and then Alvarez or De Bruyne. It, it doesn't seem like he's he's been able to give all three of them a, a chance to play that often. Now, yeah, Burnley, as you say, are a division below. They're probably a, a weaker defence than maybe City will face in, in the Premier League or Champions League. But it was it was interesting to see all three of them and all three of them were involved in 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 the goals and and sort of interacting with each other and when we're talking about Haaland getting maybe a bit more space, you probably have to credit Alvarez with a, a lot of running and occupying defenders just to to free um, to free Haaland up for, for some of those runs and uh, as much as as much as Haaland drops deep, then also Alvarez will drop deep and and that seems to be a, a partnership that that is growing quietly into something quite effective. And, you know, we're talking for ages about City playing with no strikers, then adapting to playing with one. There's an argument to say that playing with two, with Alvarez and, and Haaland, is is a, a way forward and is starting to result in quite a lot of goals. If, if they can perfect that sort of midfield combination behind them, I think that could be uh, maybe something to look for, probably next season. Um, but just an, an, another option for for uh, Guardiola and we, we always joke whenever there's a, a possibility of a, a 4-4-2 Guardiola side but uh, having have, having got um, Alvarez and Haaland up front is, is quite a, a scary proposition for, for opposition I would imagine Well definitely and I mean it's quite the coincidence that the only other time Alvarez has scored twice in a game Haaland also scored a hat-trick in that match against Nottingham Forest well back in the early of the season so what, what do you make of Alvarez on Saturday sir? Yeah, that was a championship defence as well, wasn't it? Well, exactly. So maybe that's the uh, that's the question. If City get relegated, they'll uh, score <laughs> two thousand goals in one season. Yeah, no, that well, that was that was um, Ren and Lodi, wasn't it? Um, mm. Who just got absolutely pulverised. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's been very good, um, Alvarez. I don't think it's any kind of great revelation um as joe said i think it's the first time that alvarez and de bruyne have played in the same midfield um together which is which is quite interesting because kind of guardiola's i think alvarez is like the the chaos option isn't he um in the same way that like the ball just falls to Haaland stick in the net the ball just seems to kind of Things happen when Alvarez gets the ball, um, and after it seems you know, like ricochet through with it, doesn't it? Like yeah, dribbling is yeah. kind of like pinball through, and some sort of it always lands at his feet. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was kind of his very good pass that sent Haaland through uh, for the first goal that sort of broke thirty minutes of of Burnley being the better team, really. Um, so yeah, he's had a, a really good opening uh, season. Um, and you know he's he's backed that up by signing a new deal. You know there's a bit of silly talk saying that he might be off this summer because 
who wanted a bigger role in the team and you're like, you want a bigger role in the team than the 42-goal striker? Right, OK. Um, you know, obviously it didn't come into his thinking and uh, he's recommitted his his future to City. So that's very encouraging and positive from, you know, thinking of the long term for City to have someone like Alvarez so signed up um, because, you know, Haaland may not be around for as long if he wants to go and conquer every every league in, in Europe. So, um, yeah, I think keeping Alvarez kind of happy and motivated um, is, you know, a, a very big task for, for Guardiola, but one that he's done pretty well in. Alvarez has been involved in, in most games um, mm-hmm. and he's got a very good goal record. Well, someone who certainly looks motivated as well is Kevin De Bruyne, Joe. I think um, during the Leipzig game, I joked that you know the Michael Jordan meme. He took that personally when Guardiola had the uh, you know the expert instinct to give him a bit of criticism, light that fire um, under it, you know, light that fire in his belly, and he's come back in the in the in the, in the last two games and looked back to his best after a fair few weeks of looking. I wouldn't even say like bad particularly because he still pulled that amazing goal out against Forest and still had crossed great passes in him. But I think we've, as we've touched on, while he still had the moments in him, his a kind of general all-around play was a bit slacking and he looked a little bit down in the dumps. But the last two matches, he's kind of roared back to his best as you know as he's often done. I think the the year he spent a lot of lot of our injured, he came back the next year like a man possessed, a man looking to make up for long, lost time. And he, he just kind of looks like that player to me again now. And if, if City, you know, if he's like that for the running, then Arsenal will be sweating. Yeah, if, if you ask Guardiola, he says, no one's going to tell you how good Kevin De Bruyne is. Like, we know already. But clearly, they've worked together for so long that Guardiola knows when to push the buttons and when to ask for more. And, and he can see, probably before the rest of us, when, when De Bruyne is maybe just dipping slightly below his stupidly good levels. And you, you can see it like in the games that, Guardiola was saying these things. There were some misplaced passes from from De Bruyne that you would expect him to do. He was losing possession. He was getting a bit frustrated. And I'm sure they're the little things that the manager was sort of talking about. We we know he can put one in the top corner from from 25 yards, and and he has done even when he's not playing that well. But um, no, the, I think these last two games, Leipzig and Burnley, with sort of knockout football and you know City season on the line, if you like to to paraphrase Guardiola saying it was a defining week he wanted to stay alive in those competitions until after the international break they needed a player like De Bruyne to sort of step up and you know take it by the scruff of the neck and and go and say I'm, I'm going to be the one to to help make this happen and uh, yeah he's that is the Kevin De Bruyne that you want and watching him against Leipzig was you you knew you were watching someone a, a, an incredible footballer at the top of at the top of the game because he was running the show and when he strides forward there's there's no one stopping him. So, yeah, Guardiola clearly knows when he's dipping, when's the right time to put an arm around him and when's the time to sort of challenge him. And uh, he's uh, he's taken that personally. And uh, now I think I saw this week he's now the captain of uh, of Belgium and said he's got no plans to re- uh, retire from international football. So he's clearly motivated to carry on going for, for a good few years yet at the highest level. And uh, if, he's, if he's doing that and, and turning up in the big games for City, they're not going to complain too much. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you lads kind of showered him with praise after that Leipzig game, but Sai, like, he was sensational in that. Um, the, the the shot that hit the crossbar um, for Haaland's uh, second goal, wasn't it? And then, it, I mean, if there was ever a performance that deserved a goal like that to top it off at the end, it was that one. It, as, as we've kind of touched on there, he's really looking back to his best now, which is what, you know, it's, it's, it's all to Guardiola because the way he's handled him has been absolutely pitch perfect. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, players are always going to be frustrated when they don't play. But um, you know, two two very strong performances. I thought he was maybe even better against Burnley. Um, some really good kind of involvements for the goals. But yeah, I saw like a um, a compilation of his goals for the season, um, and like they're all so good. Um, that's kind of gone. No, he doesn't. No, no, not not like that tapping merchant they've got up front. He's, um, yeah, just so, so good. Um, and that's why, you know, again, there were kind of legitimate questions of like, is De Bruyne kind of 
Um, you know, does he make the team on merit at the minute um, for the last few weeks? But there were kind of, you know, some people went a bit OTT before the Leipzig game, kind of writing off and writing his football obituary. And um, yeah, he kind of showed why it's always dangerous to do that because like Joe says, like whenever he is at his level and no one can keep up with it. So um, City, you know, you started about Haaland. Haaland kind of always does better when De Bruyne plays well because there's no one like De Bruyne to play play balls through or to, you know, smash shots off the crossbar for Haaland to head in. So, um, yeah, if, if City can have De Bruyne and Haaland keeping this form uh, beyond the international break, mm. then uh, they're going to be cock-a-hoop, I think. Well, you, you mean to tell me that a section of City's online fan base, the same section perhaps that said Edison was no longer a good goalkeeper, <laughs> wrote off a player too quickly? I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. But, you know, speaking of Edison, it brings us neatly to, Sai, how you wanted to talk about kind of City's defence and how, you know, they've kind of come in for criticism this season, and, and rightfully so. There's been um, there's been ups and downs there. But the last five games now, they've kept uh, five clean sheets. And as much as we talk about the attacking football being um, back to its best and being important, of course, 13 goals in two matches, the defence is, of course, you know, the foundations that, that all that is built on and I think we've touched on Ruben Diaz quite a lot and how, how transformative he's been but City's, City have played different, pretty much a different defence in every match in those keep clean sheets and everyone you know from Rico Lewis to Nathan Ake left back, John Stones coming back even Laporte coming in for a rare start and especially Akanji and Diaz everyone has kind of upped their levels um, in recent weeks it feels Yeah yeah, it's exactly that. You've got Diaz, Stones, Akanji and Ake all in kind of very, very good form. Uh, Laporte did very well against Burnley when he, he came in. Um, and yeah, I'm sort of always reminded of City's run to the Champions League final in 2021 when it wasn't like that exciting a team and they were struggling without a false nine. But the one thing they had was a defence and it, it, it's a really old kind of adage or cliche. But, you know, it's defence that is the most important thing and you know if you see a manager come in to replace someone who's sacked like the first thing they'll do is sort the defence out defence first and then you build from there um, and if City are going to win the Premier League and the Champions League or one of then they're going to need a really tight defence and a tighter defence than they have had for most of the season but it's kind of, again, encouraging for them to see that things are coming into place at this time of year. Because, I mean, it's a funny old season with the World Cup, but normally City are amazing between kind of November and February, March. And then it all tails off a bit and they've usually got enough to win something and they've already won the Carabao Cup or whatever. But it kind of tails off and you get that sort of limp FA Cup semi-final defeat and the Champions League they they go out of so uh, this season it's different and they've not been great kind of but they weren't great in January um, and sort of the beginning of February and then they've kind of stepped it up and now they're in kind of their their best form of the season um, and you know obviously the international break could disrupt that but if they can continue that into April and May, then we're going to see kind of a, a city that we haven't really seen before at that time of year. And I think I think Guardiola has touched upon it himself, Joe, that it kind of feels like the jeopardy of these matches, the you know the win or go home aspect of the Champions League now and the FA Cup, of course, and pretty much the Premier League as well. If City drop any more points now, with the way Arsenal are continuing, continuing to just win and win and win, and they've got nothing else to play for now after dropping out of the Europa League, it feels like one defeat and City's season is over with. So is it that is it that jeopardy, that, uh, that drama, that does kind of spur City on a bit? Yeah, they've got a lot of players who've been there and done it and... They, they weren't able to put that run together as 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 Sai mentioned over over the winter because of the World Cup. But it feels like they're getting there now. It's ten unbeaten, eight wins, even the the two draws that they had. One was the Forest game where they should have won five nil, and the other was the Leipzig game where Guardiola got exactly what he wanted from from his players in that game. So they've essentially had ten games where they've been on top of the game and done exactly what the manager wanted. Um, and if they can continue that after the international break, 
we've seen City go on 15, 20 plus unbeaten runs. If they can do that, they'll ha- well they'll have to do it because they've got um, very difficult draws and and difficult fixtures coming up after after the uh, international break. If they can do that, they'll uh, just got to keep putting the pressure on on Arsenal and they can't do anything about Arsenal's results apart from when Arsenal come to the Etihad. But what they can do is keep winning and and make Arsenal feel that if they slip up, then City will close the gap. And they've done it before, and it's just a case of uh, can they do it again. Well, we'll bring part one of the podcast to a close there. We'll be back in just a moment to look ahead to City's hectic April. Don't go anywhere. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. Now, Sai, of course, one of the, the... Biggest stories of the match, kind of beforehand and afterwards, of course, was the return of Vincent Company. He's done a great job at Burnley this season. You know, as we've touched on, I think only five or six players who went down with him last season have remained. He's he's brought the age group of that squad down drastically, um, signing loads of exciting um, young players, some of which from City. You know, Taylor Howard Bellis couldn't actually play in the match given he's on loan from the Etihad and. As the talk was before the match, well before, and, and as was expected, even Guardiola added fuel to the fire by saying he's kind of destined to be the next you know, a City manager one day, if not directly Guardiola's replacement. Now, obviously, the result didn't exactly lend much credence to that, but did he kind of still show his credentials for potentially getting the City job one day, you know, despite the result? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, for that first 30 minutes, Burnley did to City what kind of two, three Premier League teams have done maybe this season. Um, you know, they pressed them so well, so aggressively um, and kind of made mistakes. And it was, you know, Diaz made a really good interception um, at nil-nil, which, you know, could have could have changed the game. So, you know, they're, they're not the first team to not be able to deal with Erling Haaland um, and De Bruyne and Bernardo and... Well, not Bernardo, but um, you know, so many players playing so well. Um, so yeah, it was you know another very good um, p- bit of evidence that that company's doing a really good job. Uh, you know, everyone would, everyone at City would love company to be City manager one day. Uh, Guardiola kind of didn't put a time scale on it because he can't, and why would he? Um, and company before the game said, you know, tell Pep to stop saying that. Uh, because I'm manager of Burnley and we're in the championship and and whatever. So is is that kind of um, that kind of deal? Like company looks to have loads of potential, but I mean, Friday morning we had Patrick Vieira sacked um, at Crystal Palace. Patrick Vieira seen at various points as a as a future City manager, and he's got a lot of supporters at the club. But you know, Crystal Palace decided that that his road was was run there. So um, you know company will very much be under the microscope for the next few years to see how he can do with Burnley in the Premier League if as expected he he gets them there um and then maybe how he does somewhere else um before and you know if he if he keeps going up and up then of course he'll be right in the frame for the for the city job but uh but as kind of Vieira shows it, it it's not always straightforward no, of course, you know, football's a, a fickle, fickle business, as we all know too well, Joe, but he is, Burnley are 13 points clear at the top of the championship. You know, when they went down, I think many of us kind of expected, especially with, like, rumblings of uh, financial problems um, there as well, losing so much of that main squad, of course, Nick Pope, James Tarkowski, uh, really important players who, have you know, were stalwarts in that Premier League team for, for the seven years they, they managed to hold on up in the top flight. Everyone expected, I think, it would, people probably thought they'd more chance of going down again than coming up back straight back up and they almost certainly will do that now barring a, a collapse of epic portions. Um, but to do what he has done at Turf Moor, and it, which isn't just, you know, bounce get a team to bounce back straight away. As I mentioned earlier, he's completely transformed that team. Only Ashley Barnes, Jay Rodriguez, Brownhill, Cork, Bailey Peacock, Car- Carroll, the reserve goalkeeper, and Tyler Roberts, someone else, Charlie Roberts, one of them. They're the only the six or seven players that are still there from that team that went down. Otherwise, he's kind of unearthed really exciting young talents. Um, you know, uh, Nathan Teller, uh, Zahori, 
exciting players that you know in that first half an hour did give City a bit of the, bit of, a bit of a scare. And I don't, I, you know, Burnley, an unfashionable club, and he's completely changed the way they play. For eight years under Sean Dyche, they were the rough and tumble trip to the dentist, as Guardiola used to always say. But now they're they're an exciting footballing team, and to do that in such a short amount of time with a shoestring budget is 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 very impressive. And to think what he could do, you know, that and most of that is pure coaching, you know, to go with his good scouting. But to think what he could do. You know, at City, it's, it's quite exciting one day, as as Sai says, if his if his trajectory continues to go upwards. Yeah, I'm, you've taken the words out of my mouth. It's not just the fact that he's taken the same group of players and got them back up and got them to do the same thing. He's not only got a new squad, basically, he's taught them to play a completely different way of football where Burnley, their identity was more defensive and uh, sort of physical and direct for so long and within the space of what, a year, nine months, it's it's now completely different and, and forward thinking. And I do think if, if he could follow the progression of sort of someone like Graham Potter, where he's done well in the championship, got, got a team promoted, got himself into the Premier League, and then he probably needs a stepping stone. I don't think he's the next City manager. I think he'd probably be the one after that, maybe, if, if he ever was, was going to be. But he knows that. He said he's a championship manager at the moment and City need the best manager in the world and he's not that and he he won't be that for some time. And I think that shows a bit of awareness as well. He's not going to take it just for the sake of it. He, he he knows where City need to be and want to be and where he would fit into that. But what I think what we also saw on on uh, Saturday was he would have the full support of, of City fans. He... I don't think I've ever seen that for an opposition manager at any club, really. But the the reception he got was was something else. So for uh, f- for for the fans to back him so much, if he ever did become City manager, no guarantees, obviously. But I think he would uh, he'd be a very very popular choice. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask you then, like, what you know, what was his reception like? You know, being there in the stands, and and do you reckon you know Burnley should come up next year? Do you think there's and there's already questions of can he still do? that style of football in the Premier League. Do you think he'll take any lessons from this match? No. <laughs> um yeah, no, I don't think well, I don't think he'll take many lessons because there, there aren't kind of nobody plays quite like City do. Um you know, he might next season might think more about his goal difference if he's uh if he's coming up against a rampant city at home, but but nothing more than that. But yeah, I mean, it must be very rare as a manager to have both sets of fans singing your, singing your name for basically the whole 90 minutes uh, from one to the other. Um, and, you know, Burnley fans clearly love him. And as I've sort of said before, he's kind of gone out of his way to um, distance himself from, from City while he's kind of started off in his managerial career and, you know, is is fully committed to... To Burnley, and they appreciate that. But you know, City fans are never gonna forget um, everything he he did for them, and that the statue outside the ground kind of is testament to to that. So they, you know, really enjoyed seeing him, but also seeing him come back as a success um, because that is also kind of quite a quite a big thing that was anything but a, a guarantee really when when he left or when anyone leaves the club. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for City, next up in the semi-finals, a return to Wembley it will be Sheffield United. They overcame Blackburn in a really exciting uh, match earlier on the day on Sunday. And, of course, the winner was scored by one Tommy Doyle, Joe. And, unfortunately for him and James McAtee, neither will be able to play, which is uh, a bit of a shame for them to get the get Sheffield United to Wembley and be unable to uh, take part. Yeah, but, but as, as uh, has been uncovered in the last couple of days, that's the competition rules. You can't... Uh... You can't play against a team against your parent club. I'm not sure whether City would would allow that. There's an argument to say yes, it would be a great experience for them and, and a continuation of their progression. But also, City need to need to get to that final. And if they didn't, and it was Doyle or McAtee who who played a starring role in that at, at Wembley to stop them, then uh, there'd be all sorts of inquests, wouldn't there? But um, no, they've, they've both been doing well, and I think both of them had a slow start to the season, sort of um, working out how the championship worked and uh, McAtee obviously had the, the game where he was substituted at half-time because he was so off the pace but both of them seem very, very popular and uh, you can just see by the amount of starts they're getting and goals they're getting and 
this, the confident goals as well. I think McAtee scored one at was it Sunderland where he, he just took on a few players and, and popped it in the bottom corner. That Doyle shot doesn't happen in the last minute if he's not flowing with confidence. Um, but he's he's done those he's scored those goals time and again for for City in the academy and um, he did well on loan at, at Cardiff last season and that's that's what he has. Uh, in his locker when he's when he's on the top of his game and uh, a, not only a run to the semi-finals of, of the FA Cup but um, the, a promotion push and you know Sheffield United should should join Burnley in the Premier League next season. That's uh, not bad going from from what City would want to get out of that loan. So it's disappointing they're not going to play in the uh, in the semi-final, but um, the fact that that's even a problem to have is probably a good thing for for everyone concerned. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no. And McAtee wasn't the only McAtee in the FA Cup semi-finals this weekend, Si. His brother uh, was playing for Grimsby. And Si, you kind of got the chance to talk to them both ahead of the weekend. And, and how was that? Because obviously qu- quite the story. I didn't realise he had a brother playing for Grimsby. And of course, their, their great cup run ended in heartache with a 5-0 defeat to Brighton. But what a story it was for the League 2 side to get to get so far. Yeah, I mean, Grimsby was was one of the tales um, of, of the FA Cup this year. And, you know, the McAtee brothers both getting to where they got to was um was also great as well it was you know very good to speak to speak to them both and see how kind of different they are they they both sort of couldn't make out enough how different they were but you know you speak to them and they they're similar in an awful lot of ways um but John being the older brother has kind of helped James through through his, his time at Sheffield United, because that's been his first kind of foray into into senior football, and you know um, James was kind of told City didn't want James to go on loan basically at the start of last season, and and it was um, put to him that you know no nobody in this squad has been on loan and come back to the first team. Like going on loan is usually a sign that you won't make it, and and. James's response was like, "Well, I'll be the first one then." So that kind of shows you his his character. But then he he really did take a knock in that that game at Luton when he got subbed off at, at half time, and and it's then when John, who's at Grimsby but has had a lot of rejection and adversity in his career, um, has has kind of come to the party and helped James through it. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it's. Um, there's a lot of things that kind of you need to make it in the game uh, professionally and, you know, having that, that good family environment is is certainly really important. Um, so John has done, you know, great in his own right at, at Grimsby this year and will be going back to, to his parent club, Luton, next year, trying to trying to crack the, the first team there and, and James will be heading back to City hoping to, to make it. But before then, um, you know, his job is to... Um, finish the finish the job with Sheffield United and get promoted it's you know a shame he won't get to play the FA Cup semi um mm-hmm. but still plenty to be um proud of from his season yeah he certainly looks like a you know I, I think he was clearly one to be picked out you know when either of, if any three of us have gone to watch the under 21s or under 18s in recent years McAtee along with likes of Cole Palmer now and uh Obviously, Phil Ford, and one who clearly stood out as a really a talented player who's destined for big things, but be they at City or not. But, you know, the, the under 21s that are still at the club, Joe, of course, are still going great guns. And there was a the small matter of a Manchester derby this past week as well, wasn't there? Yeah, and it was over after 15 minutes when uh, City went 2 0 <laughs> up. And uh, then five minutes later, uh, United had a player sent off, which was, uh, you know, a very, very clear red card. and by I think 23 minutes in, City were 3-0 up and, and a man advantage and, and it, it was game over. Then it was a matter of how many they'd get. They got six in the end and, uh, you know, Brian Barry Murphy said he was sort of more pleased with the second half or the final hour, if you like, of how they managed that man advantage and just kept the possession and kept United uh, penned back and, and got the rewards in the end with some uh, goals. But it was honestly, it was an identical goal every single time. Send the winger to the byline cut it in, uh, either a tapping or a, a good finish and um, it was it was just far too easy and uh, a 
that the only way to emphasise how one-sided it was is after the red card, United brought on 36-year-old Tom Huddleston to uh, uh, to shore up the defence and it worked for a little bit, but they, they just admitted defeat and said, we, we've got to... Um, we've got to so, sort of slow things down and and just take our medicine here, and uh, it was uh, it was the most one-sided game you will, you will see uh, in in a long time. But you know, I spoke to Will Dixon afterwards, who who scored two goals, and yes, he was delighted to win a Manchester derby, score six past United, second time this season. But they're focused on the title, and uh, you know they they moved above Chelsea now. They've still got two games in hand. They want that that group of players are so determined to get three in a row in, in, the, in the Premier League too and you know the the under 18s are in the the youth cup semi-final at Arsenal so they're not in the youth cup uh, the youth league in uh, in Europe but there's still a lot of uh, a lot of positives that can be taken in the uh, academy of the season and two or three trophies as well well if only United had Tom Huddleston on the bench at Anfield they might not have <laughs> lost 7-0 back there you know say uh, other cup competitions has been draws of course and the Champions League draw is Quite tasty, if not a little bit scary for City. Um, Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals, reunion on the cards with João Cancelo and, of course, Leroy Sane. And the reward for should City win that tie is a semi-final with either Chelsea or Real Madrid. It's made for a a fascinating contest um, tournament because one of Napoli, Benfica, AC Milan or Inter will make it to the final, which will certainly make it a fresh uh, Champions League for once. But... To have all the four kind of biggest guns in one side of the draw, while it's going to make for some absolutely um, remarkable matches, you suspect it's certainly you know it's not it's not easy. For, you know we we kind of laugh at City sometimes and they get the easy domestic cup runs. Even though even though I don't think that's much of a truism anymore, but in the Champions League it certainly never has been because my God, what what a task they've got on the hand if they want to get to Istanbul. Yeah, I mean I've seen Edison on uh, international duty saying that they're going to knock Real Madrid out so that. Carlo Ancelotti can be Brazil manager sooner, so that that's the confidence you want from uh, from your goalkeeper. Um, yeah, it's you know very very tough. Um, I I don't think Bayern are at the level that they have been in in previous years. Certainly when they when they won it a few years ago, they were sort of frighteningly good, um, and now they're not there. So you know it, it's tough. Bayern probably like the team after Real Madrid that City didn't want to get um, but they've they've got them and I think they've been helped out in the FA Cup draw getting Sheffield United rather than United or Brighton because that game is kind of three days after City are at the Allianz Arena um, and that the FA Cup kind of gives City a bit of respite um, where they can rotate a bit um, should they need to but yeah I mean no one can say City um, haven't done it the hard way. If they go on to to uh, to win it, it it would also be kind of peak Guardiola to to knock Bayern and Real out in thrilling fashion and then lose the final to Benfica or something like that. So um, mm-hmm. all the possibilities from the from the Champions League draw, um, you know, just a a shame, I suppose, for the fans that they're in Germany for the the third time, third third time in a row, but. Um, I'm sure they won't mind it if they get a big a big win. Um mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting and you know, City can kind of reinforce their their status in in Europe if they uh if they beat Bayern and then, you know, you're looking at probably I, we can't say fully because I got so much abuse for discounting Chelsea um from <laughs> the scenario, but um, presuming Real Madrid beat Chelsea, that is then a repeat of the semi-final from last year, which was, mm. I think, one of the most entertaining ties in the history of the competition. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it certainly does feel, to be fair, that Chelsea are in that weird stage where they're absolutely rubbish in the league and then somehow managed to scrape a Champions League. It's happened twice before. I would not surprise me if it happened again. But, you know, Joe, either, you know, whoever they face, even, you know, even though Chelsea are not the best, it's not exactly like Stamford Bridge, not exactly an ideal place to go in a semi-final either. But even though it's that tough a draw, is it kind of good for City in a way? We touched on it earlier, the jeopardy um, of these kind of knockout matches spurs them on. And it seems to me like the tougher opponents kind of makes them raise their game somewhat as well. Like if you kind of discount the exit to Real Madrid last year, the exit City have had in you know that those 
heartbreaking fashions apart from Liverpool as well. It's tended to beat against clubs you would normally expect City to beat. Now, Monaco was obviously an amazing Monaco side, but they should have beaten them. Lyon, of course, Tottenham. City's exits tend to come against teams you'd expect them to beat. You know, in Tottenham's case, it did beat probably in the league as it was anyway. So, you know, there'll, there'll be no room for complacency whatsoever against the, you know, the champions of Spain and Germany. Or oh, 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 Chelsea. <laughs> Don't discount them. <laughs> no, but for the purposes of the argument, it, it City are probably going to have to face Bayern and, and Real Madrid, aren't they, to, to get to the final? And I mean, if they'd have managed to avoid those two, they'd have done very, very well. But I, I think Saeed touched on it last week that it's probably an advantage to, to face them both over, over two legs rather than meeting especially Real Madrid in the final because they're just so, so good in, in these competitions and, and have more experience. So, um, you know, City know that they are at least equal with both of these sides and it's just it will just come down to, to those two legs and uh, I think they'll have learned a lot from the uh, the Real Madrid game or the games last season and sort of throwing away a couple of goals in, in the first leg, just not hanging on for five minutes in, in the second leg and you would expect... I think we've seen quite a few times that City have learnt lessons from from previous defeats. I think they will do again this time. And uh, I'm just, I've been trying to think back to uh, the pre-season game against Bayern Munich. And you know, could City learn anything? And yes, the one-one nil and Haaland scored, but there was such a, a you know torrential thunder and lightning storm that interrupted the game. It was a like a 70-80 minute game, and I don't think either side really fancied it. So I don't. I'm not sure we can take much from from that game. But there are a lot of uh, a lot of players familiar with each other. Jao Cancelo, as you say, will uh, will be playing. Players like Leroy Sane and uh, Sadio Mane, who uh, you know, you, I, I don't know who I'd uh, play on, as well as Kyle Walker in in fullback for for City. But no, it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see how the sides line up, uh, the sort of tactics to go for, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's a run where you you could be confident if City get to the final or they could get knocked out in the quarterfinals and you you've got no no idea how to how to call it. Yeah, well we certainly can't wait for those ties and it's set up for an incredibly busy April for City. They have eight fixtures already kind of penned in for next month and that doesn't include Brighton and West Ham matches that will have to be rearranged due to the FA Cup commitments so no doubt if that if they have to go into May that makes May even busier in contrast Arsenal does six games uh, in April and much more time after that as I mentioned earlier their exit from the Europa League they've got one thing to focus on Si City still competing on three different fronts we've sort of said many times how hard it is to do that and you know that April is going to make or break City, really, isn't it? Because it's such a heavy load. The, the games, you know, even in the league, there's not really any respite because they have to play Liverpool and, of course, that massive match with Arsenal themselves that will kind of define the season either way. You'd imagine it's it's going to be exciting, but uh, man, it's going to be quite difficult for the Blues. Yeah, it will. But it's kind of the old kind of saying that like you <clears throat> you're never tired when you're winning. Um, and if you look at like the last week, um, City, yeah, Arsenal are three points further ahead, but Erling Haaland's eight goals in two competitions that are not the Premier League will make Premier League teams much more worried about Erling Haaland than than they would have done if City weren't in those competitions. Um, so it, you know, if you go in through in those competitions, you will be seen as. Um, as more formidable, and I, I, th- I think the way it works is City have got Bayern away in the second leg of the quarter, and then um, Sheffield United in the FA Cup semi, and then uh, four days later they will have Arsenal at home. So if you've got Arsenal coming up to the Etihad, having been beaten twice by City already this season, having never won at the Etihad in Guardiola's time, and facing a team that has just qualified for the Champions League semi and the FA Cup final. Um, I think you're a bit more concerned than you would be if you were coming up against a team that was like not in those competitions, but a few points behind you in the in the Premier League. Because as well, I think you know City will be playing catch up in terms of games with the rearranged games. But you know that when both teams are level, the the points gap is five points, and if City were to win, then the points gap would be two points. So that is only kind of one 
one game where you've got margin for error, City have got a better goal difference as well. So it's, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it it's easy to say, yes, Arsenal, it's all set up for Arsenal because they've only got a game a week and they've not got Europa League commitments anymore. And that's definitely a, a factor. But then, you know, we looked, we expected Arsenal to be a bit tired after going 120 minutes against Sporting and they absolutely battered Crystal Palace. So, yeah, it, it, it's going to be exciting either way. Um, and I think, you know, I would expect the title race to go well into May. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Arsenal had that kind of wobble where they, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, where they lost to Everton, of course, and then drew to Brentford. But since, and then even after that, they had that mad period when they had to rely on last-minute winners against Villa and Bournemouth. But since then, they've been winning quite comfortably. I think people looked at an away trip to Fulham who are really in form. I thought, oh, it could be a potential banana skin that easily dealt with 3-0. And as you say there, Palace... Um, easily stepped aside four one despite going and the distance against Sporting just a um, just a few days earlier, Joe. I mean, there is kind of some parity in the upcoming fixtures. Arsenal also have to play Liverpool, of course. They have to play City, and they actually have to play Chelsea three days after playing City as well. So that's by no means an um, an easy run. And then of course um, the last two um, of the first two games in May, they've also got Newcastle away and Brighton at home. So they're not easy games by any stretch of the imagination, but. So it's, it's it's going to be interesting to see how I say how it all kind of pans out because you know City may have more games but I I kind of I'd say at least in the league Arsenal probably have the the more difficult set of fixtures. They do, but I'm looking now and they've got two or three games against sides who might need to also get some points to to stay up towards mm, the end exactly, of the season. Yeah. So that that also comes into account. And I, I think Sider said that. The, the title race will go into May. I think it definitely will do just because of those rearranged games. I think City will probably go into the last week having a game in hand. So we we could be expecting a, a title race like we've seen before where it, it goes down to maybe even the final day again. So um, that's where City's experience will probably come into it. Yes, Arsenal have those uh, sort of not as many games to play, but uh, that also means they've got time to to think about it more. And so far they've not not shown any signs of of the pressure getting to them, but you never know what's going to happen. And you know, I I, I keep thinking if, if City win it, it might be like was it was it twenty fourteen when Liverpool were were going you know so well and then fell at the last minute or or slipped if you like. And 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 everyone remembers that season for Liverpool being so well, but it was it was City who who won the title. So um, I th- it might it might be one like that. Um, I think City do have a lot of a. It's not just a lot of games; it's a lot of travelling as well. They've got three trips to London four if they get to the FA Cup final they've got two trips to the south coast if they get through to uh, Champions League semi-final that's you know two more European away trips so then City aren't going to have any time to think about it they've just got to go from one game to the other and, and win so it, it it's how they use that they've done it before they've used that, that sort of momentum to their advantage but Guardiola's also complained about the travelling and, and the effect that that can have on on results so it, it'll just be how both sides manage it and they've got a different different set of circumstances to to cope with but um, you, you still can't rule City out even though things seem like they're uh, working against them in, in that title race when City get get on a winning run they're very very hard to stop even if they've got big game after big game if you had to call it now, we're in the international break, Joe. There's eight points in it. There's 11 games left to play for City, 10 for Arsenal. Who's winning it? I think City will beat Arsenal and, and win the game in hand. So that just means that it, Arsenal have to slip up once. I, I think the experience means that I think City still have an edge. But, I mean, if Arsenal carry on winning, then no one's, no one's stopping them, are they? And they've, they've been so good this season. Sai, who's winning it? I think City, but I think, as Joe said, um, it could well go into the final week because I think that is only, I think there's only two midweeks left, three midweeks mm-hmm. left, basically, and they've got two games to rearrange. So City could go into the final week second, needing to beat Brighton away and Brentford away to to win the title, which would be a spectacular final week. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a sucker for narrative, and I do think, Arsenal are going to just just pinch it this year but of course there's plenty more to come and we'll be certainly be excited to see how it all pans out but there's still a couple of weeks away yet till the club football returns so ladies and gentlemen we'll bring 
the latest episode of the Talking po- Talking City podcast to a close right there. Thank you all very much for listening. If you want to keep up to date with all the latest city news over uh, the international break, you know where to go. It's manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can get us on Twitter at Man City at MEN and our Facebook page is Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City. And if you want to watch this podcast in living colour and see Simon in his dark little dingy <laughs> cave and my nice mug, then all you need to do is go over to our YouTube channel. It is Manchester Evening News dash Man City. We'll be back soon, no doubt, to look into what's coming up for City on the horizon after the international break and as you know as we said certainly exciting times on the horizon but until then ladies and gentlemen it is goodbye for now Ta-ra.